Let's pray. Our God, we rejoice today that you are our God and we your people. Wow. You have been so kind to us. Thank you for your word. The kindness of giving us your word that we would know how to walk with you and enjoy you. Please open it up to us this morning. May your spirit do a work in our hearts. God, change us where we need to be changed. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Lift us up where we need to be lifted up. We trust you, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So you might have heard the story of the rather worldly man who was one day walking along some train tracks when his foot slipped and uh, got entangled, wedged in the tracks. He began to struggle to get his foot free, but to no avail. Um, off in the distance, he could hear the engine, the the roar of the train coming down, and the tracks began to tremble with his feet stuck in them. Panic-filled, the man began to cry out at the top of his lungs, but no one heard him. He twisted and he contorted his leg, trying to free himself, but it only seemed to get more wedged in, more tightened. As the train neared, he went to his last resort. Pray to God. Lord, if you're there, please help me. I know I've not lived a very good life, but if you'll get me out of this situation, I promise to repent of my sins and to follow you the rest of my life. Suddenly, his foot slipped free from the track just before the train passed by. He looked up toward heaven and said, Never mind, God, I got this myself. Circumstances don't make a person, they reveal a person. Wish I could take credit for that. That was E. Stanley Jones, the missionary. Circumstances don't make a person, they reveal a person. They expose our true metal, provoking what is going on in our hearts. As, as Jesus said, there's nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person from within, out of the heart of man, that is what defiles him. As we enter Deuteronomy 8 this morning, the circumstances for Israel are about to change. The question is what the circumstances will reveal about them. As I explained in the introduction, Israel is on the banks of the Jordan River getting ready to enter the promised land after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And this is Moses' message to them as they prepare to enter. Moses is giving them the instruction on how to live as God's chosen people in these new circumstances in the promised land. So chapter 8 begins, The whole commandment that I command you today you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. Moses then describes this land poetically, beautifully, 
to the people. Listen to this, beginning in verse 7. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. A good land. A land of brooks and of water. Of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and the hills. A land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates. A land of olive trees and honey. A land in which you will eat bread without scarcity. In which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you, and you shall eat and be full. You shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. The congregation must have been a buzz, right? Anticipation at a fever pitch. As they look at Moses, they can see beyond Moses into this land that he is describing to them. I mean, they've had 40 years of dry, cracked, hard ground, prickly shrubs, and drought, and drought. For 40 years. And here he is explaining this to them, and it's like, yes, let's go. It's going to be paradise. But before they enter, he calls them to remember. Remember from whence they came, how they got here, and who got them here. Verse 2. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. By this point, the entire congregation knows the story. They had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because of the disobedience of their forefathers. Even though the promised land was only an 11-day journey, 40 years, 11 days. Car broke down, apparently. They had not been able to enter till now. But in the midst of the wilderness, even in the midst of the wilderness, the Lord had led them. Did you read that? Remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years. For 40 years, he has led them. They had never walked alone. He describes this divine leading twice in chapter 8, beginning in verse 2. I'm going to read both of them to you. God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Your clothing, it did not wear out, and your foot, it did not swell for these 40 years. Verse 14, the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Now notice that he lists both the historical circumstances as well as the purposes for those circumstances. 
and that he attributes it all to the hand of the Lord. Again, the Lord led them. This was the Lord's doing with the Lord's ultimate purposes being behind it. So before we dive into the particulars, we need to grasp the importance of the very last phrase that I read there. He lists all of these things and then says that it was to do you good in the end. Y'all can go home now. To do you good in the end. What happened in the wilderness? The wanderings, the dangers, the fiery serpents and scorpions, the ground where there was no water, as well as the miraculous provision of manna, water from the walk, their, from the rock, their feet not swelling, their clothes not wearing out, was all to do them good in the end. Mm. It is here that we find another particular manifestation of Romans 8.28. You know the verse. We know that in all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In all things, the Lord works for the good of those who are his. Paul's not saying here that all things are good. He is saying that all things are used by good, by God, to do his people good in the end. That is what the Lord God of the covenant does for his covenant people. Always. That is what the Lord God of the covenant does for his covenant people. Always. To do you good in the end. And Moses is saying that the 40 years of wilderness were for their good as well. Why? Because the Lord is their God. And they are his people. And so God works all things together for their good. He intends all things for the good of his people. He did then and continues to now in the midst of our circumstances, both in times of joy and times of adversity. Earlier this week, actually it was last week, I was talking with a brother about the pandemic. He said that he thought the pandemic was sent by Satan as an attack on the church. I said that regardless of Satan's part or Satan's intentions, the pandemic was sovereignly intended by the Lord for the good of his covenant people, the church. To humble the church, to discipline the church, to test the church, to teach the church, all to do the church good in the end. All to do you good in the end. It's not so much what Satan intends against us, but what God intends for us. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will we, he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble? Everybody say no. Shall trouble? Or hardship? Hardship? 
Or persecution? What about famine? How about nakedness? Danger? Sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. How many things is that? Everything. That's everything, everybody. nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Whatever it is, whatever circumstances you encounter, if you are His, those circumstances are intended for your good in the end. And that is exactly what Moses is saying to the Lord's chosen people back then. Moses reveals some details of how the Lord was doing good to them. Primarily, it was for their good through their instruction. The Lord was teaching them through these experiences so that they would now know how to walk with him in the future. Notice the repeated use of know in this passage. Verse 2, testing you to know. Verse 3, that he might make you know. In verse 5, know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. Now, I know that the word discipline often evokes in us a visceral reaction as if it means punishment. Everybody say, it doesn't. It doesn't. Rather, discipline is a form of teaching. Listen to how it's worded here, likened to that of a loving relationship between a father and a son. It's put forward the same way in Proverbs 3. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves. Mm. And he does it as a father, the son in whom he delights. Did you catch those two phrases? Whom he loves and in whom he delights. Discipline is a form of loving instruction because the Lord loves his people and delights in them. He delights in you. He delights in you. Don't hang your head. The Lord delights in you because He loves you. And He wants to direct you and He wanted to direct Israel in how to walk with Him. Discipline, says Chip Ingram, is future focused. Always pointing toward future acts. It has nothing to do with retribution and everything to do with redemption. Whereas the purpose of punishment is to inflict a penalty for an offense, the purpose of discipline is to train for correction and maturity. And that's what he was doing here, and that's what he does with us. In love, the Lord, like a father who loves and delights in a son, 
was teaching his people through their time in the wilderness so that. Don't ever forget the so that stuff. That's the important part. So that they would keep his commandments, walk in his ways, and revel in the fear of the Lord in the promised land. It was their training ground for the future. And he had done this, the Lord had done this, through the medium of humility. Verse 2, that he might humble you, testing you. Verse 3, he humbled you. Verse 16, that he might humble you and test you. Now, by a show of hands, how many people think that being humbled feels good? Oh, someone raised their hand. Being humbled is literally a humbling experience. That was a profound one, huh? (laughs) It's hard. It's difficult. It is unpleasant. Everybody who thinks it's unpleasant, raise their hand. And yet being humbled before God is a good thing. It is positive. It is something all of his people need. They need to recognize who God is and who they are in light of who he is. That's what humility is. Understanding who you are in light of who God is. He teaches them these lessons through their wilderness experience. He humbled them by placing them in a place where they had to despair of themselves. Hmm. Despair of their wisdom, their abilities to come to an end of themselves. Coming to realize, recognize, understand that they were not in control of their destiny. They were not in control of their lives. Well, that's a humbling place to be, isn't it? Was it a hard and painful experience? You betcha. Was it a needed experience? You betcha. Because through it all, they were then able to recognize their utter reliance upon the Lord to provide for them. They were utterly and completely dependent upon God's gracious and merciful provision for their very lives, so that they would know what? That man does not live by bread alone, but by everything that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That's what he's teaching them right there. Now, many of us probably recognize that verse. It was quoted by Jesus while he was in the wilderness, when after 40 days of hunger, The tempter came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now we see several similarities in these two events. Both take place in the wilderness. One is 40 years, the other is 40 days. 
Both subjects experience hunger and the need for miraculous intervention. And both have the temptation to not rely on the Lord's promises. To not rely on his word, his promises. But to take matters into their own hands. And in both instances, the need for physical sustenance is contrasted with the need for believing God. For faith. In other words, the way they chose to have their physical needs met was a spiritual choice. The way they chose to have their physical needs met was a spiritual choice. Either believe God's promises for your provision or seek another means. That was the test for Jesus. The tempter was telling him to take matters into his own hands. Don't wait to see if the Father will eventually keep his word. You shall live by bread alone. You're hungry. Come on. But Jesus trusted God's promises. His promise to provide. He lived by the words of God. And the circumstances surrounding the manna in the wilderness was a test of Israel's heart. A lesson about trusting God's promises for their provision rather than trying to do an end round, seeking provision via some other source so that they would know that God is their provision, that all of their sustenance, their very livelihood comes from Him. And this time of testing, this experience was so important. Because through it, they had experienced God's leading. Through it, they had experienced his closeness. Through it, they had experienced his compassion and his kindness and his mercy and his grace. Through this time of testing and humbling, they had come to know more about themselves and about who God was and is. That he is their provider, not themselves. He was their God of their yesterdays and had led them and provided for them. And they desperately, desperately, desperately needed to remember this because of where they were heading. They needed to remember because they were about to enter the most dangerous of spiritual places. The good life. You heard that right. They are about to go in to the good life. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. A land in which you will eat bread without scarcity. In which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full. Woohoo! That's right. Exactly what I thought. The Lord is bringing them to a place of prosperity, of personal peace and affluence. And it is in this place where they lack nothing, where they have no needs, the place of blessing and favor, where they are most liable to forget the Lord. Take care. 
lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then you, your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God. You know, the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Hmm. Did you hear that? When things are good and you're enjoying all of God's blessings, don't forget God. Yeah, that kind of, kind of seems silly that they would forget the one who is blessing them. <laughs> oh, it is so not. Prosperity and personal peace has the propensity to persuade us to take pride in our own personal prowess and power instead of praising God for his provision. Let's chew on that one for a second. Prosperity and personal peace has the propensity to persuade us to take pride in our own personal prowess and power instead of praising God for his provision. I almost titled this message, Beware of Prosperity. Prosperity. Having and enjoying good things is not bad, folks. It's not a bad thing. You know, it's good. It's very good. God blessed them with this. He didn't curse them with it. He blessed them with it. It is God's blessing. But with much blessing comes the temptation to forget the blesser. Forgetfulness often accompanies personal peace and affluence. When your life is filled with beautiful hills and valleys, streams and rivers, and abundance of crops and provision without seeming end, he seems to say, with cars and houses, good paying jobs and relaxing weekends, with a pantry full and a bank account fuller, those very blessings tend to replace the one who gave them. They tend to. And all of a sudden, with a positive change in circumstances, Israel could find themselves saying in their hearts, my power, my wisdom, my endurance. Ah, did you see how I persevered? And the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Look what I have done. Look what I have created. Look at the work of my hands and all that I have earned and stored up. Never mind God, I got it myself. Reminds me of that story. Might have heard it. 
There was a successful modern American couple who did pretty well for themselves. After years of struggle and climbing their respective corporate ladders, they found that their jobs afforded them more than they needed. So they wisely saved and invested. That proved fruitful as well. And soon they were, well, well off. Downright affluent in the eyes of most. They accumulated nice cars and furniture, electronics and other toys. Then they began to look around themselves and say, what should we do now that we have so much? They decided to have a bigger house built that could store all of their goods and that would accommodate all of their hobbies. Then they looked around at all that they had, all that they had accomplished by their hard work, by their talent, and by their wisdom. And they said to themselves, we have plenty of stuff and money laid up for many years. So let's just relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to them, fools, this night your souls are required of you. And the things that you have stored up, whose then will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Yes, this is my modern take on Jesus' parable in Luke 12. And it seemed apropos. You see, we seem to cry out to God when we're in need. When times are tough and we need help. But when circumstances change, things are going good and we seemingly have no real needs, well, what need do we then have of God? Never mind God. I've got it myself. But it's not that clear in our minds, is it? We would never say something so brash. Rather, it's, it's a slow fade. Quietly, almost imperceptibly, the resources and pleasures that we are enjoying drown out our ongoing dependence upon God. The prosperity and personal peace begin to obscure God's provision in our minds. We begin to turn our eyes away from him as our provider to depend less and less and less on him and more and more and more on ourselves and our resources and our power. Slowly, we become persuaded that it was by our earning power and potential that we have our provisions and then we take pride in all that we have done. That's what he is meaning by forget here. He's not talking about a lapse in mental recall, some kind of amnesia. God who? Never heard of him. That's not what he's talking about. What he is talking about is living as if you've forgotten. Living as practical atheists, where our dependence upon, our security in, and our allegiance to the Lord is subtly replaced by a dependence upon, security in, and allegiance to ourselves and our abilities. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Never mind, God. I got it myself. Such forgetfulness leads to idolatry and ultimately to ruin. 
So he warns Israel against this ongoing idolatrous forgetfulness. Verse 19, if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you will surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so you shall perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. But this does not mean that they were destined to forget. No. Prosperity and personal peace only have the propensity to do this. Moses says, take care lest you forget. Oh, oh, there's something we can do so we don't forget. That's a good thing. Take care lest. Guard against forgetting. So how do we do that? By remembering. The way to not forget is to remember. I know. Seems simple, doesn't it? Verse 18, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. That's why he began this section with remember. Moses seems to be saying that the wilderness was a training ground for them to not forget the Lord in the promised land. Hear that one again. He seems to be saying that the wilderness was a training ground for them to not forget the Lord in the promised land. He began and repeated all that God had done to remind them that it was God who gives the power and ability to get. All they had and have and all they will get is from the hand of the Lord. Man does not live by bread alone, but from everything that comes from the mouth of God. The reason they will be in the promised land is because of the Lord. The provision they received to get to the promised land was from the Lord. The provision they will receive in the promised land is from the Lord. All of their strength, all of their power, all their ability, and all their wisdom is from where? The Lord. Good, you guys are catching on. Good job. The circumstances may have changed, but guess who didn't? The Lord. He has been confirming His covenant. There it is again, that covenant thing. He is confirming his covenant by empowering his people. The covenant that he swore to their fathers long ago. And he still is. They must remember to not forget. Remember who the Lord is and what he has done. Remember that he delivered them from slavery. Remember that he gave them bread from heaven. Remember who they are regardless of their circumstances. They are His people, His chosen covenant people. And we, church, must must remember so that we do not forget. We need to remember our wilderness wanderings. Remember that He delivered us from slavery. Remember that he gave us bread from heaven. You might recall a discussion about this that Jesus had with a crowd. 
that followed him after the miraculous feeding of the 5,000. David talked about this at the camp out. Jesus tells them that they must believe in him to do the work of God, to which they reply, Then what sign do you do, Jesus, that we may see and believe you? God, get me out of this track. What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. In other words, call down more miraculous bread from heaven and feed us again, and then we will believe in you. Until the next time we're hungry, and then we will come and say, well, I don't know, you're not providing for us. Give us more bread. Oh, now we'll believe in you. Ah, Now we have bread. We don't need to believe in him. Oh, I'm hungry. Jesus! Oh, thanks for the bread. See you later. Oh, I'm hungry. Jesus! The genie Jesus. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. And guess what happened? They died. They ate the manna. And they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus uses the events we've been talking about this morning to point to the gospel. Yes, the gospel is in Deuteronomy. The people in this passage were out for physical bread, but that was never the point of the manna. That was never the point of the manna. Every one of them who ate manna in the wilderness still eventually died physically. His point was that the truths behind the events of the wilderness and of man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God was never about physical, just about physical provision. It pointed them to trust in the Lord for all of their needs, physical and spiritual. Just as they were utterly incapable of providing for their material provision in the desert, guess what? They were utterly incapable of providing for their spiritual provision because they were in the desert. Spiritually. They were just as destitute spiritually as they were physically. The the Israelites did not only... Drink time. The Israelites not only had to rely on physical bread from heaven to sustain their mortal existence, but had to rely on the word of God, the promise of the coming Messiah that would eternally save them from their sins. 
They had to remember that he had given them manna from heaven to fulfill his covenant promises and sustain them. Oh, it's that, that phrase again, so that. Oh, did you hear that so that again? There's that so that. He gave them manna from heaven to fulfill their physical needs and their physical provisions to sustain them so that they would continue to trust his covenant promises to them to provide bread from heaven for them, bread that would give them eternal life, the promised Messiah, Jesus. Man shall not live by physical bread alone, but by everything that proceeds from the mouth of God. Everything that proceeds from the mouth of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only full of grace and truth. Jesus is the word, the promised Messiah. He is the spiritual bread from heaven that brings eternal life. And you attain that bread, not by working, but by faith. Faith in God's word. Faith in God's promises. Faith in his bread from heaven, Jesus. Where we sit today, we look back at the manna from heaven in the person of Christ. He is our bread from heaven that God has provided us when we were in the wilderness of our sins. In our complete and utter depravity and inability, Jesus came as our heavenly provision so that those who eat of him will live forever. Before we do anything else, we must remember this. We have a saying around this church. Give me three seconds and I'll forget the gospel. There's a reason we're given instructions to remember. We need to remember the gospel. We do not forget the Lord by remembering the gospel. Remembering God's provision for us in the wilderness. This is where we find our identity as God's chosen people. This is where we find our hope. In our utter dependence upon God to save us. And the truth that He has. That He has. On this bedrock, this foundation, we can stand firm. And then we can learn many other lessons from Moses, from Israel's history, and from the words of Deuteronomy. Just a couple of them for you. Lesson number one, stand firm because he is the God of our yesterdays. Our past is also the training ground for our present and future. You heard that. Your past is also the training ground for your present and future. The things that you have gone through in your past, the good, the bad, the ugly, are all a part of God's training ground for you in the present and the future. Whether our past was walking faithfully with God or not, 
God was still there with each of us in those times, leading us. He was leading you in all of those times. All of them. Every one of them. You're thinking back on, there's no way. Yes, way. He was there leading you to where you are now. He led them through the wilderness. He led you through the wilderness. He led me through the wilderness. Many wildernesses. And guess what? It was all for your good in the end. It was for us to remember His faithfulness to us. His faithfulness to do us good, to bring us to where we are today so that we may serve Him faithfully by obeying His commandments, walking in His ways, and worshiping Him. The Lord has led you. He has been faithful all these years to you. Remember those faithful acts. Recall all the things that He has led you through. Remember your past and celebrate God's faithfulness to you through it. One of my favorite worship songs goes like this. Never once did we ever walk alone. Never once did he leave us on our own. You are faithful, God. Never once, church, did you ever walk alone. Never once did he leave you on your own. From eternity, he looked at you. That's my child. I'm with you. You're going to rebel. I'm with you. You're going to do some horrible things, but I'm with you. And I will lead you. And I will save you someday. And you're going to use those things that you went through in a glorious manner as I've prepared you through those things for where you are today. He is the God of our yesterdays. Lesson two. Stand firm because he is the God who is here today. When times are difficult in the present, When we are undergoing adversity and suffering, God is with us, leading us now. God is with us, leading us now. He is teaching us to be dependent upon Him. He is humbling us and disciplining us out of love for us so that we depend more and more more and more on Him. Why? For our good in the end. For it is only in our dependence on Him that we will find true joy. He wants to wean us of finding security in the wrong things. Mm. Now that one soak in for a little bit. 
He wants to wean us of finding our security in the wrong things. And there are oh so many things that we tend to find our security in. The Lord alone is our provision and security. We live today in a figurative promised land. By this I mean that most of us live in prosperity and personal peace. Or we don't need to worry about where our next meal comes from. We have transportation, income, housing, cell phones and computers. We have everything we need. And so the temptation is to forget the Lord. To look to our own abilities, power and resources for our provision. It is he who gives you the power to. Did you catch that verse that we read? It is he who gives you the power to. Period. What, you, what do you have that you have not gotten from him? Everybody say, nothing. Everybody say, thank you. All you have and all that you are is because he has given it to you out of his covenant faithfulness for you. He has given you the power to work, to earn, to minister. You name it. Therefore, work with all your might as unto the Lord. Thanking Him, praising Him, acknowledging His provision for your ability to work. Yes, we are to work unto Him. He gave us the power to do it. Every one of us. Some of us are going through hard times. Know that He is there with you walking with you, leading you in the midst of the pain. I know it's not easy. I get you. But he's there with you, leading you at this moment. Never once did you ever walk alone. Never once will he leave you on your own. He is with you in the midst of the pain and the suffering. He is here today. Number three, stand firm because he is the God of our tomorrows. The instruction contained in Deuteronomy is about their future about where God is taking them. He is taking them somewhere new. They are not heading out on their own. He is not some proud parent sending off their child saying, go and you be with you. He is not doing that. He is going with them and giving them instruction for how they are to live in relationship with him in the future. That's pretty cool. Thanks for that. Here's how you can walk with me where you are going. By keeping his commandments, by walking in his ways, by remembering how he has led them all of their days, by worshiping him because he is still with them. We have that promise over and over and over and over again in the scriptures, folks. Deuteronomy 31.8. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. 
Hebrews, he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Did you catch the tense of those? I will. I will. The Lord goes before us. He goes ahead of you into where you are going and where he is leading you. He is leading the way. Stand firm on this truth, church. Never once will we ever walk alone. You got it? Never once will he leave us on our own. It's not just the past. It's your present and your future. He is your God and you are his people. And he will walk with you. He will lead you. He will not forsake you. Because he loves you. As a father loves his son. He is faithful. He is our covenant God. He has led you in the past. Is leading you now. And will ever lead you in the future to do you good in the end. To do you good in the end. Trust in Him. Find your security in Him. Know that your future is in His hands and entrust it to Him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that never once did I ever walk alone. Never once did you leave me on my own. You've been faithful. Never once will I ever walk alone. Never once will you leave me on my own. You will be faithful. It's true of every person in this place who are your children. What a place to be. Thank you that you are the God of our yesterdays. Thank you that you are the God that is here today. And that you are the God who is to come. And we worship you and thankfulness, and gratitude. And remember you. In Jesus' name, amen.